0: Welcome to TW Now. I'm Scott Winnell. What comes to mind when you hear the word Jerusalem? Some are made happy, while others become angry when this ancient city is referenced. Jerusalem has had a turbulent history for millennia, and the last 50 years have been no different. It seems as though social and political upheaval erupts from Jerusalem weekly, including over its new nation state law that declares that only Jews, of the right to self-determination in the country. While many Jews are hailing the law as a success and a solid step forward in determining the future of the Jewish people, critics warn that this new law, although mostly symbolic, is a step toward Jewish nationalism and a departure from democracy. Meanwhile, Israel is facing potential war with factions in Syria and Lebanon and Gaza. How will the world and Israel's neighbors react to this and other actions taken by Israel. What does the future hold for Jerusalem? War or peace? This is the question we will address in today's TW Now program. Today on the program, we have two guests that have been around for a while. They've both been on the show before, and I'd like to welcome both of them. First, we have Mr. Wyatt Saselka. Mr. Siselka has been a regular panel member. He's a minister. And he also has a background in teaching at the university level in the area of theology. Mr. Ray Clore is joining us from the Washington, D.C. area. Mr. Clore is a minister. He has been on the program before. And interestingly, what Mr. Clore brings to us today is he has served in the American Services Office as the U.S. Consulate General in Jerusalem from 1984 to 1988. He was also the Chief of the Consular Section at the U.S. Embassy in Amman, Jordan from 1993 to 1996. So he has a substantial background in the Middle East and what we would call the Holy Land. And so we appreciate that. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the program today. And we are excited to have you here and to hear what you have to say about this very interesting issue, Jerusalem, War or Peace? Let's go ahead and jump into the topic today, gentlemen. What are some of the important issues in history surrounding this coveted international city? As we try and set a background for our viewers and help them understand and get on the same page with this topic.
1: I, I want to say hello to Mr. Klor. Thank you for joining us before, before you uh, jump in and um, I, I want to say I'm looking forward to hearing some of his uh, expert uh, uh, you know, opinion on this. So we were talking before the program. Do you want to go first?
2: Yes, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, As uh, has been said, I lived in Jerusalem around the area for about four and a half years, and um, it's a a subject that's very close to my heart. But we we want to have a little bit of background on the city and some of the issues. So I I think, you know, even though we're speaking to a biblically literate audience, uh, we need to be reminded that uh, King David, uh, according to the Bible, uh, conquered the city around 1040 BC. And there's archaeological evidence of David and of other of the kings of Israel down through the ages. And it's not until the Muslim conquest of 638 AD that Muslims actually start entering the scene. So we have about 1600 years between the conquest or 16, well maybe, yeah, 1,600 years between David's conquest of Jerusalem and the Muslims. So the Muslims are a little bit Johnny-come-lately, um, but there's a, a long-term history uh, of Jewish occupation of Jerusalem. It's interesting, and,
0: by the way, that uh, from the popular press side of it, the media doesn't really make that case very much. They, they talk about the ancient history of Islam that really don't make the case for the, the more ancient history of the Israelites there.
2: That's true, they do not. And even in Islam, uh, all the history before 638, or you know, when Muhammad came, they call it Jahiliya, or the time of ignorance. They, they tend to basically just want to uh, wash away all the evidence of Jewish and Israelite occupation of Jerusalem before the Muslim conquest.
1: You know, Mr. Clore, we were talking a little bit before the program, and uh, you mentioned how the Muslim conquest was 638, and we were talking about how Jerusalem is a holy city to the, the, the Muslims, and they, they prayed to Jerusalem uh, initially uh, as early as 620. Uh, A.D. and um, uh, so w- 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 maybe we could get more of your insight into into why it's a holy city to them, and and then also still talk a little bit more about. because uh, I found it fascinating fascinating some of what you were covering about you know the history of of of, of Israel, how long the Jews uh, have been there.
2: Yes, uh, the Muslims they view Jerusalem as their third holiest site, but it goes beyond just the writings of the Quran and the Hadith. But the, the Muslims, they do believe that Abraham almost sacrificed Ishmael in Jerusalem. In the West, we believe that Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. So what that means for Muslims is that they believe that the promises of the land that God gave to Abraham and then to his descendants really should go to the Ishmaelites and not to descendants of Isaac so what you have here you have people who believe that god gave them the land and they do not want to give up that claim so you have two completely different ethnic groups who have mutually exclusive religiously based claims to the same piece of real estate that's not a formula for peace in my opinion
0: yeah it just makes you wonder uh, wonder maybe even know is is peace even really possible with those two uh, powerfully conflicting perspectives and the fact that they're they're really rooted in in religion more than anything else it's not just opinions it's a religious fervor and a religious foundation behind it a lot of the audience may
1: not know that uh, one of the reasons jerusalem is considered so so holy to uh islam the muslims they, they believe that muhammad ascended to meet allah to meet god from Jerusalem, that's that's stated in the Quran in chapter two, surah two. So, um, but of course, that would have been six hundred, you know, in the 6th, the seventh century, um, which would have been like Mr. Clor was saying, you know, uh, thousands of years after the, the, the Israel and the Jews were firmly entrenched there. The 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 Jew, the uh, Judah fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. So, there, there's historic evidence of the Babylonians conquering Judah in 586, which is, again, very historically you know, provable. Uh, so, you're looking at about a thousand years. Not exactly, you know, but before you had, um, you know, Islam start looking at Jerusalem as a holy city. So, it is a holy city. Uh, it's holy to, uh, to God and to Christians, but um, why is there such an intractable conflict? I think it's important to appreciate the truth that... The Jews and Israel had been there so long, uh, but also to understand that that uh, Islam looks at it for a lot of reasons, also as a as a holy city, a holy site. Yes.
2: If I could just add to, uh, according to the Bible, I think it's First Kings eight, um, the city of Jerusalem was chosen by God for the temple, and Solomon mentioned that in his dedicatory prayer of of the temple. And the glory of God, the Shekinah, filled the temple. Now it stayed there until right before the Babylonian conquest. But if you continue reading the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 43, God is again going to choose Jerusalem. and He's going to build another temple there. So when it comes to ancient uh, rights, privileges, again, the Jews have a prior claim to God choosing that city for a a temple for uh, his worship.
0: It was interesting. As I listened to both of you and your um, descriptions of of this conflict between belief systems of of Christians, uh, Jews, if you will, uh, from that biblical perspective versus the Islamic perspective, uh, you're talking about two different reference points as well, aren't we? We're talking about two different holy books with potentially two different histories. And so there's a very interesting contracted um, uh, insight here and perspective that we've got to take into consideration. If you don't mind, let's go ahead and move forward. I'm going to ask you another question. We've talked a little bit about the history which I think is really important to understand as, as we begin to wonder why are things happening in the Holy Land and around Jerusalem as they are. Let's go on to another question here and ask the question, what are some of the hot-button issues that we're seeing face Israel and Jerusalem today? We've, we've talked about history. Now, what's going on today, and, and what do we need to be aware of? What does, what does our audience need to be aware of?
1: You know, one of, the, one of the big things, I think you mentioned it in the introduction, I believe, was the, um, the, uh, the, the new law that gives uh, Jews, uh, ethnic Jews... The, the right to self determination that 's a major major um, piece of legislation, a major movement that the Knesset and that, that the Israeli government has taken and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu addressed the Knesset just a few days or so or a week or so after that law went into effect, and he said that it wa- that that law would ha- was a defining moment and um, in the annals of Zionism and in the history of the State of Israel, and you know, there's there's often hyperbole and and vitriol uh, regarding Jerusalem and and Jews and Palestinian conflict, but I think he's right. It's a defining moment, and so then we have to ask, why is it a defining moment? And and it, it goes back to the fact that there is, as Mr. Clore was saying, there is this really, without Christ's intervention, an intractable disagreement between these two sides. They, they both have their, their holy scriptures, they both have their history. We can talk about the fact that the Jews had, had preceded the, the Arabs. I mean, the, the, the Jews um, revolted against the Romans in 70 A.D., right? I mean, that, even, even that revolt against the Romans in 70 A.D. is hundreds of years before Muhammad, uh, not to mention King David, you know, 1000 a, a, a B.C. We can talk about that all day long, but I think what the Arabs are going to say is it doesn't matter. They're going to say um, all prior prophets um, are subordinate to Muhammad. All prior writing is subordinate to the Quran. It wasn't um, uh, Isaac. It was Ishmael and so forth that the the blessings and the promises should go down through. So for Christians, and a lot of Christians go to visit, they do pilgrimages and so forth, Um, for Christians to argue with Muslims from the Bible is really arguing in two different languages and, uh, and, and from two different perspectives and two different, uh, you know, truths. So, so we, you, you won't really win that argument um, to someone who, who believes in the, in the Quran. So I, I don't want to hog the time, but you asked, uh, you know, what's the current impasse? Mm-hmm. I think the current impasse uh, is rooted in that history.
0: Okay. Mr. Clore, what do you think?
1: Yes,
2: um, the the law that uh, Mr. Suzelka referred to uh, it, it brings to mind uh, a saying that has been around a long time in the Middle East. Is that um, the the Jews or the Israel could have a Jewish state? that they, they want, they want a Jewish state. They want a democracy, and they want the land, the, the mandated land of, of ancient Israel. And everyone has always concluded they could have two, but not three. And so what we see with this law is that it seems like the democratic aspect of Israel is being somehow reduced. It's under some kind of pressure, some kind of attack. And so that will bring uh, more opprobrium from other nations against Israel, because they'll say, well, this is is apartheid, this is racist, you are uh, excluding Arabs, you're excluding people based on their ethnic or religious background. And so that that's going to bring more pressure on Israel internationally because of this particular law.
1: And, 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 let, and let me follow up with that pressure that Mr. Klorer is talking about. Um, what a lot of people maybe don't realize, uh, there, there was a lot of excitement about when President Trump agreed to move the, uh, the embassy to Jerusalem. Back in it was May, I believe. The time goes fast. I think it was May of this year, and uh, that 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 was a, a bold move. It, it, it riled up emotions. What a lot of people don't don't know is that that was agreed to back in 1995, 1995, and the United Nations passed resolution. I have it in my notes here. Uh, UN Security Council Resolution 478 in response to that agreement in 1995. And what's interesting, without getting too much into all the politics and the history, is that the U.N. resolution in response to the decision to move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem, that, that was made in 1995, which President Trump finally acted on, that U.N. Um, resolution um, undermined, contradicted that, that agreement to move the, the, the capital and basically put in question that Israel should exist as a state, and put in question, absolutely put in question, that Israel should have access to East Jerusalem. Why do I mention this? Because when you have the recent law that was passed in May about self-determination for the Jews as, as you know citizens of Israel, um, what we have to understand, I think, whether we're American or Canadian or Swiss or French or whatever, what we have to understand is that Israel has been in the minority on the global world scene for all of these decades. The UN has consistently sided against them. Security Council resolutions consistently, and so forth. So, what we see in the news now? Why would I anticipate that the world reaction would be any different? Why? Why, why would why Why would we anticipate that the world wouldn't continue to side against uh, Israel, at least somewhat, and make claims of apartheid and so forth, like Mister. uh w- was referencing? Where will that lead? Is where it gets really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> what?
2: I think that um, the move of the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, uh, of and by itself, uh, has not had a great deal of uh, impact on the negotiations or the situation in the Middle East. The Palestinians discount it because they view the United States as already in the hip pocket of Israel. Uh, other countries are distracted. So apart from uh, a few people in Gaza sort of rushing the border and, and causing trouble that way. It it doesn't seem to be causing uh, a great deal of problem of and by itself. But I just view this as uh, in a sort of a a growing continuum of unilateral actions. The United States is taking more and more unilateral actions uh, against other countries because of perceived um, unfairness in trade, for instance. And the Israelis are taking uh, more unilateral actions because they've tried the whole issue of international conferences they've tried to get together with Arabs and they come pretty close but really the Arabs are, I shouldn't say Arabs I should say the Muslims in particular they they really don't want to make a permanent peace with Israel if you understand a little bit more about Islam you realize that they divide the world into two camps the Dar al Islam And the Dar al-Harb is the House of Islam, where Islam rules, In the House of War. Islam really doesn't want to make any permanent peace agreement with non-Muslims. They will make truces, they will have ceasefires, but they will not make permanent peace. And so with that kind of background, I can understand why Israel is more and more tempted to make unilateral actions like this recent law
0: all right thank you for the for the background gentlemen and some more insights into what's going on and why Uh, i I think those comments mr clore that you just made about how um, islam is not going to be pleased or content with a peace it just won't work with the way they view the world Uh, you, you are a muslim or you are the enemy is really the way that these that it reads before we go on to the next question, and in the next question I actually want to switch gears and I want to jump forward and talk about the future of Jerusalem. But before we do that, I'd like to welcome you if you're just joining TW now. Today we're talking about war or peace for Jerusalem. And so if you have any questions, please feel free to message us and we'll try and get to those questions. But let's get back to now the question that I want to ask and, and shift our gears here. Using the Bible as a, as a focal or as a lens, as a guide, what do we see happening in the future of Jerusalem? And I think you both have some very helpful things to add here.
2: Well, if I could begin, uh, perhaps I could read from Zechariah chapter 12, uh, verses 2 and 3. It says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day but I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut to pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. We can see several things here. One, Jerusalem is going to be besieged. All the nations around it will be against it. And how will all the nations around it bring support? Well, you you can see very clearly that uh, the Muslim world, the Arab world, that control a lot of oil, and that will bring along in its wake um, a lot of support from Asia, from Africa. Um, and it does seem to indicate that there's not going to be really any solution to the Jerusalem problem, because it's going to come, uh, it's going to continue, and there just won't be a, a, a resolution
0: to it. So you're you're suggesting that mankind can't figure a way out of this?
2: That's what I'm suggesting. Uh, it's already been prophesied in the Bible that mankind will not come to a final solution for for Israel and, and Jerusalem. In fact, I just make the point that you, you can't separate the status of Jerusalem from the overall conflict. Um, when people negotiate about a, a, a peace in Israel, they always try to leave the status of Jerusalem to the very end but it's all bound up together. You can't separate it out.
0: Okay, interesting.
1: Mr. Selka. Um, so two quick comments. Number one, uh, we, we the, the, the living church of God, the, the, the church, the work behind Tomorrow's World, uh, has been talking about this subject for a long time. And I, I brought a, a magazine that's a few, few years old on purpose, uh, 2014. Uh, now, of course, we've been writing and preaching and warning about this. Uh, from the Bible for for decades, but so I, but I, so the, so well before this. But, but I want to read something quickly that Mr. Richard Ames wrote, uh, one of the uh, the longtime evangelists, and this is from this 2014 uh, article um, regarding watch the Middle East or titled Watch the Middle East, and so talking about how it's in tra- intractable humanly, uh, he 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 talks in the middle of this article about how in 1984 Pope John Paul II wrote in his apostolic letter that he hoped Jerusalem would be given a special internationally guaranteed status. Uh, Who might guarantee that status? In 1975, U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger promoted that Jerusalem become an international city with control of the holy places and religious administration given to the Roman Catholic pontiff. Now, there's a, there's a lot we could talk about, or that I, I'd love to talk about regarding that, and I'll keep it brief. Number one is that, is that uh, governments have been trying to figure this problem out for a long time, right? And well before 1975, but it, it, we haven't figured it out. Number two, give control to the Roman Catholic pontiff? Um, hmm, interesting, because when you look at the Bible and you look at Scripture, it actually does seem that there will come a time when Jerusalem will be uh, trampled will be tread underfoot. So it gets to point two, what's the future of Jerusalem? Revelation 11, there's many scriptures we could look at. Revelation 11 uh, is very full of, 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 of symbolism and so forth, and it's a lot to, to explain. Um, but uh, in chapters 11, verses 1 and 2, it talks about the two witnesses. Now this time setting is at the end of the age before Jesus Christ is going to return. Uh, which, which we've written about and talked about, and our audience can can look that up on tomorrowsworld.org. It is revealed here, uh, so a reed was given like a measuring rod, uh, the angel stood and said, rise and measure the temple of God in the altar. Verse 2 is what I want to draw our attention to. Leave out the court which is outside the temple, do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, just meaning non, non-Jews, non-Israelites, it's not a negative term, in Bible language, Gentile just simply means people who aren't Israelites. That's all it means. And so uh, the, the 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 court uh, has been given to the Gentiles to tread for 42 months, or a period of three and a half years. So the holy city, that city that's called holy to God, um, will be at some point in the future um, trampled, trampled, and who will do the trampling and so forth? You know, we, we, I don't know if we have time to get into that. But what's the future of Jerusalem? It's, it's not one where there's going to be peace and everybody's going to be getting
0: along, uh, at least until Christ returns. Mm. So it does look like, from Scripture, we're seeing war is imminent. Um, armies surrounding Jerusalem at some point in time. It, it doesn't look like uh, human beings are necessarily going to destroy Jerusalem, from what we see, but it, it's going to be difficult for a while, and and that difficult time is coming. Right now, it looks like we have uh, Israelite descended peoples. The Jews are sort of in control of at least uh, Israel and and have some interaction on on the Temple Mount. What else is coming? What else do you see, gentlemen? What else do we see from the scriptures regarding the future of Jerusalem? Mr. Kloor.
2: Well, one thing I'd like to add, which is not normally uh, covered, but if you go to Zechariah 14, verse 10, it says, All the land shall be turned into a plain from Jeba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place. You can read right over that, but having lived there, Jeba is like the modern village of Al-Jeb, about six miles north of Jerusalem. Ramon is about 35 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So what we see from the scriptures is that this area, which is now just mountains, plains, ravines, is going to be made into a a plain. And then Jerusalem itself will be lifted up and will become a mountain. And we read about that in a very famous scripture in Isaiah chapter 2 about it come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be established above the hills and people will say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord he will teach us his ways we will walk in his paths so Jerusalem is actually going to be geologically changed it's going to be lifted up as a physical mountain but also the temple of God is going to be on the top of that mountain. It will be over all nations, because mountain can be a symbol for nations as well. And from that point, Jesus Christ is going to teach all nations the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and the result of that teaching, the result of that kingdom, and the result of that rule is going to be peace. Finally, peace in Jerusalem, but also for the whole world. Peace which has escaped and evaded, uh, the Middle East for so long. It will eventually come when Jesus Christ returns.
1: And so, uh, Mr. Clor is in uh, Isaiah. You know, chapter, a few chapters later, later Isaiah 65 uh, talks about Jerusalem. It's God's will. Isaiah 65 verses 18, 19. Uh, it's a promise. Be glad, rejoice forever in what I create. Speaking of God, His will to create this, and what is He going to create? It's not going to. He's not going to create something that is suffering, where there's an intractable conflict between the Palestinians and the Jews. Uh, He's not surely not going to give uh, control over to the Roman Catholic pontiff. He's not going to do that. He's going to create something. What does it say? Behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Notice this, the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So we look forward to Christ's return because that is the only way that that scripture and so many others like it can be fulfilled. I, I, I'll mention the United Nations often, you know, when I'm on the program, um, I don't want to sound, uh, I don't want to offend anybody out there, but I actually am a fan of a lot of what the UN does. I believe, I understand there's been problems. But I believe that a lot of the people that, that work in the United Nations are trying to you know to, to help. Um, but it they're going to fail. They're going to fail in bringing peace to Jerusalem. Only Jesus Christ and Him returning can bring peace and, and help these scriptures to be fulfilled.
0: As we think about some of these scriptures that you're reading and referencing, do either of you have a, a scripture that you that really resonates with you, a favorite scripture, if you will, that talks about, or a concept, biblical concept, that talks about the future of Jerusalem after the return of Jesus Christ?
2: Well, I don't know if it's a favorite scripture. There are so many that really talk about uh, the millennium after Jesus Christ returns and the situation of Jerusalem, uh, but one that I would like to bring out is in Isaiah 33, And verse 20, it says, Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a quiet home. And then further on down, it talks about verse 24, The inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. So instead of the tumult and the riots and the upset that we see today, Jerusalem finally will be a quiet place, a quiet home, People will be in good health. Divine healing will be offered for people. And people will be forgiven their sins. So it's a wonderful future that's coming for Jerusalem and for the whole world.
0: Yeah, the, the, the picture of the city of peace actually having peace, uh, no longer it being a metaphor but a reality, that's, that's exciting to think about. I, I like to think about some of the scriptures, too, that talk about God making Jerusalem his home. Someday Christ is going to return and, and dwell in Jerusalem. and has been intending to do that for a very long time. And so to see that come to pass one day is exciting to think about. We need to wind down this program, gentlemen. It's, it's been enjoyable. It's interesting. We could go on, I think, for probably a couple hours and talk about these millennial scriptures. And we'll, we'll reference our, our audience uh, in the future, or in just a couple of minutes, some more sources you can look to for some more information. But as we wind down, gentlemen, what I'd like to do is see what you think are some important takeaways from this program today. What are some takeaways that our audience needs to keep in mind, thinking about the future of Jerusalem, maybe things to watch for? Let me, let me, let me jump in real quick.
1: Um, you know, I, I uh, pastored in uh, Arkansas for a while, and there was a church that I would drive past, and they had Psalm 122, Psalm 122 verse 6 on the sign, pray on their sign. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So you're asking, what are the action items? Uh, when I would drive by that sign, um, it would remind me that we do need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but, but there's so much more to that than I think a lot of people um, understand or appreciate. And so I think an actionable item is for us to get behind the proclamation of what the Bible calls is the good news about the coming kingdom of God and that when, w- that's the only solution when you see these children, uh, whether it's in Israel or whether it's in Syria or elsewhere around the world that are being, you know, um, suffering, right? You know, there, there's wars and there's been chemical gas attacks and wh- whatever. But whether it's Jerusalem or whether it's in your hometown, um, you know, Christ's return is the, is the solution. And so, I'd like to give a scripture as relates to that in my final comment, because when I would drive by that sign, Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it would often remind me of, of, a, of a different passage in Luke chapter 1. And it may not remind other people of that, but let me tell you why. In Luke chapter 1, uh, the angel Gabriel is announcing the, you know the, 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 the birth of Christ. And it's interesting to me how uh... christ is is presented in luke chapter one and this is verses thirty two thirty three uh... he will be called great just breaking into that that she'll she'll conceive and bring forth a son his name will be called jesus he will be called great he will be called the son of the highest and the lord god will give him the throne of his father david you're coming back to jerusalem you're com- the throne of david is set in jerusalem and then um... verse thirty three he will reign over the house of jacob which is Israel, forever, not for a few years, not symbolically, uh, two thousand years ago, but forever. Um, and of His kingdom there will be no end. And that is how the angel introduced Jesus and in His His Mary's conception, the Mary. And so, what are takeaways? Believe that. Have faith in that. Pray for that. It's real. Get behind you know supporting preaching that to the world that's the only hope that Jerusalem has Thank
0: you. Mr. Floor.
2: Wow I, I think that's a wonderful point and I think that would be the one that I want to end up with uh, I just want to just make a, a summary uh, just to remind people that we do have at this point uh, two different ethnic groups who have mutually exclusive religiously based claims to the same piece of real estate And since Islam basically forbids permanent peace treaties with non-Muslims, there is no human solution. There will be no human solution to this problem of Jerusalem and conflict in the Middle East until Jesus Christ returns and sets up the kingdom of God. So what Mr. Sazako just said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for the return of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the hope for peace in Jerusalem, hope for peace in the world.
0: I think that's the exciting thing, isn't it? That The Bible actually gives us some insights and helps us recognize that we can look at a situation like Jerusalem. It seems like an insolvable puzzle or problem. Yet we know from the Scripture that the problem will be solved. Christ will return. He will set up His kingdom on the earth. And we have some incredible insight into what that world will be like when Jerusalem actually is at peace. We well, thank you for being with us today. Uh, one thing I do want to note, we have a question that came in. Who are the Israelites and where are the lost tribes? Fantastic question. We don't have time to deal with that today, but if you did post that question or would like to know the answer to that, if you'd visit us on TomorrowsWorld.org, look up the booklet that we have entitled The United States and Great Britain in Prophecy. The United States and Great Britain in Prophecy and that booklet actually will give you insight and answer the question who are the modern-day Israelites today and really where are they in the world today <clears throat> but as we wind down here let's just keep this in mind Jerusalem has been a focal point of war and strife for thousands of years and that pattern is going to hold for the immediate future as nations and religions continue to vie for this coveted Holy Land Jerusalem's future will be bleak before it improved. But it will improve as we've talked about today. For greater insights into this topic, we encourage you to look at our eye-opening article entitled, The Future of Jerusalem. This was written a number of years ago, but is still very poignant today. So go to TomorrowsWorld.org and look for that title, The Future of Jerusalem. We look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Hopefully you'll be able to join us again next week on PW Now, where our aim is really to ask big questions and to look for real answers related to news, prophecy, and your life. Thank you for joining us today.